We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in possible. Welcome into another Fremont podcast. I am John Kurtz, joined by Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury, Derek Young of KSO fame. And uh, it sounds like I'm a little more upbeat this week. That's because I sure as hell am. Uh, if Look, you can accuse us of a lot of things, all right? Being right is rarely one of them. And uh, unfortunately, we were, we were very much not correct uh, about this game and the injury situation and pretty much everything we talked about last week for K-State football because the Cats knock off a top-10 team, Oklahoma State, 48 to nothing. Uh, yes, 48 to nothing. What did I see? That was the... Uh, largest margin of defeat for an unranked team against a top 10 team in AP poll history. This goes all the way back to the 1930s. So a uh, hell of a little accomplishment uh, for the Cats on Saturday, huh? I mean, I as negative as I was last week, I don't, I literally do not know that there is one single thing that I could complain about from the entire day. Is there one, is there one single thing we can complain about from the entire game? I, officiating maybe. Uh, Echo Boido, you know, got screwed a handful of times. That's Tim Brando's tweets. You know, but that's about it. I, I don't really have anything else to complain about from yesterday. Yeah, Echo Boydell might be like the most unfairly judged uh, player in that entire game, at least from an officiating standpoint. I think, dude, they could have called OPI, offensive pass interference, on the guy that he was defending probably three or four times if they wanted to, and instead he got a defensive pass interference call somehow. I, I still am a bit flabbergasted by that turn of events. And, and I also wanted to point out, in defense of the three mile podcast, we did have one guy pick a Kansas State win. That's true. Hello, everyone. <laughs> positive, positive Cole has come through once again. While the negative Nellies over here, John and DY, predicted an L. And we're going to continue that trend uh, because we want DY to be wrong again. And that's been a productive trend for Kansas State. And to so. survive. And to survive, I don't think I would. I think I would. My head would be on a post if, if I picked Kansas State to win this week. So, uh, so you can already book it up that he's picking Texas and uh, DY. You're going to have to sell it that you really believe that it's. Gonna oh, be I know. Oh, I will. I will. Yeah. Don't you? Don't you worry about that. If, in fairness, too, if we look back in our preseason preview, like when we went game by game before the year even began, I had Kansas State at seven and one right now, with their only loss being the TCU. So I am not 
that wrong when it looked when I looked at things before the season. The only game I got wrong was Tulane. I mean, we we all predicted K State to beat Oklahoma and Norman and to beat Oklahoma State. John and I had K State losing to Iowa State. The roadmap to get here was all a little bit different. None of us had the Tulane game happening, but at the end of the day, you're four and one in the Big Twelve. I think all of us take it. And from a prediction standpoint, John, you you saw Brody yesterday, my five year old. Brody told me, and I have it on video. When I asked him for a score prediction, he said 44 to nothing K-State before the game. And I'm like, Brody, there is no way that's happening. And it's sitting at 41 to nothing. And he's like, let's kick a field goal. I'm going to get it right. And DJ Giddens punches it in. But, I mean, I that, that kid is my uh, good luck charm. So, man. he was – yeah, well, I, at one point – when I first asked him, I got at one point he was even thinking like 96 to 12 or something yeah. like that. He's but, got the cats by 90 in his head, guys. Yeah. So. Which <laughs> legitimately, I mean, almost was there. I felt like that was that was there for the taking if they really wanted it. Uh, another, another half. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was out there. I there are a lot, I'm sure a lot of people have great stories from the day. I will just say that uh, shout out to our guy, Chris Nelson, who does some some work for you at uh, K State Online. Generally, you know, if you guys think I was a little negative last week, uh, you know, love Nelly to death. But in our group chat, he's he tends to be the most negative, um, <laughs> very negative sometimes. But I sat next to him the entire game and not a peep of negativity. The entire we had nothing to complain about. There was like literally nothing again outside of a couple of flags. There was no negative Nelly at all. So it was a. Uh, I never thought I would see the day, but it was a freaking blast. I mean, I can't tell you how much fun that was uh, to be in the stands for that. Had some great seats that I was given to. Shout out to my guy, Don, who hooked me up with tickets. Uh, just a just a perfect day all the way around. Man. Splitting hairs here, but I, I think the only uh, ounce of negativity that I could perhaps conjure, um, nothing on the defensive side. And, and the offense, again, like I said, splitting Harris, you're going to take 48 points against Oklahoma State in any venue at any point in any season, you're, you're not, and you're not going to feel bad about it. But as good as they were in winning 48 to nothing, um, Will Howard still missed a couple guys wide open. They had a couple of things schemed up too, like the wheel route to Deuce Vaughn, where it got interrupted just because the timing was off due to a blitz that got home to Howard, and he had to deliver the ball before he wanted to. They had to schemed up that touchdown to Will Swanson early in the game. I think they still scored on the drive, so I'm not sure that it necessarily mattered, but he dropped the ball, which wasn't a perfect throw by Will Howard, but a catchable ball. So there was other opportunities there for the taking for Kansas State that they didn't even execute on. I think they were the recipient of a poor Oklahoma State performance. I think Mike Gundy pointed that out, but that was also, um, from an execution standpoint, the best I had seen Kansas State probably in my time covering the team since 2017. Yeah, so let me. I'm gonna hop in here because I watched last night the entire Mike Gundy post game press conference. I don't know if you guys did. Yeah, um, I did. It, it was very interesting because I, I think a lot of what you can attribute this to. And I had people ask me after the game, like, "Man, how how did that happen? How did K State just house a top ten team, forty eight to nothing?" And I really think uh, you, you got to start with the coaching staffs here because Gundy went out of his way to. I mean. You know, he did the right thing and putting it basically all on himself. And he said he apologized to the team for not having them prepared. But so both teams, right, were facing this injury conundrum going into the game. We know K-State's situation. Oklahoma State was in a very similar situation. And we did discuss that. where They were without like six starters against Texas. Spencer Sanders has been banged up. Well, Gundy said he changed the way that they practiced this past week. And he, he wouldn't get into specifics, but basically insinuated that they just didn't 
practice yeah. guys. He, he, made it, he made it sound like they didn't practice, right? Well, yeah, he made it sound. I mean, you know, I heard Kleiman at one point in the last couple of weeks was talking about just backing off a lot of guys. And, and it, was, it was TCU. It was after TCU. He said we might change, tweak some things and just practice more normally instead of backing off too much. It feels like Mike Gundy seemed to be saying I backed off too much on my yeah. guys in practice this past week because of the injury situation, and it didn't work out. Whereas Kleiman seemed to be a little bit ahead of the curve where K-State may have done some of that going into TCU and then in the bye week, obviously, before that, trying to get guys healthy and then said, well, look, forget that. Let's trash it and move on. And I mean, beyond that, talking about coaching advantages and what they did, just to be able to scheme around the trouble that they're having at linebacker health-wise right now was amazing. Amazing to pitch one of the best defensive performances we've seen from K-State in a conference game. I mean, if we're talking about Hey, Cole, this is where I need Cole to help me with the stats, but an offense that was – weren't they top five in the country in scoring offense, Oklahoma State, and you you uh, shut them out? I mean, that, that's, that ranks near the top of, of K-State Big 12 defensive performances. I mean, they were they were definitely up there in points per game. Points per drive, they were 34th in the country, so not nearly as high from an efficiency standpoint, mm-hmm. but it's still an electric offense. And when you consider the fact that Oklahoma State, from a pace perspective, was fourth in the country in plays per minute, uh, at 2.9 per minute, which was let tops in the Big 12, and you shut a team out that's running that type of a pace of offense, that's incredible. And they were only on the field for 63 plays a season low. And what did we talk about going into that game is, you know, Kansas State would have to find some ways to sustain drives. Defense without Daniel Green, you got to keep plays at a minimum for that defense. And Kansas State was able to do that. And the defensive performance – was as good as I've seen in a long time. And that is now the fourth game out of eight that K-State has held an opponent without a touchdown. You know, I'm not counting Missouri's touchdown on the last play of the game. I'm just not. So you think about it, South Dakota's a shutout. Missouri scores 12. They get the garbage touchdown on the last play. Iowa State kicks three field goals. And Oklahoma State gets shut out. You know, it's so difficult to shut anybody out in this league. And even maybe late in the third quarter, my dad had made a comment to me. I was sitting next to you know, when was the last time a Mike Gundy team got shut out? And I said, well, I'm not going to shut them out, Dad. They're going to, you know, K-State's going to start playing some backups soon. They'll eventually get a touchdown or two. And the defense just kept stepping up. Whoever was on the field just made plays um, all over the place. So it was it was really remarkable performance. And, you know, that's the first time Mike Gundy, from a shutout perspective, has been shut out since 2009, Oklahoma State, and a 27-9 or 27-0 loss to Oklahoma. And K-State held Oklahoma State to an incredible 3.4 yards per play, which is the lowest since 2009 in that OU game as well. Just doesn't happen in the Big 12, and it particularly doesn't happen against a Mike Gundy coach team. So that that was one of the more shocking performances that I've seen from a K-State defense. Not that the defense isn't good. We know the defense is good, but without Daniel Green to do that, that was incredible. And without Khalid Duke for the first half yeah. um, as well. So I think you have to put that on the top of it. And if you look at the Big 12 metrics, especially in Big 12 play, Kansas State's probably a hair past Iowa State, maybe for number one defense in the Big 12, if you take everything into consideration. Um, those two are neck and neck. That performance might have gave Kansas State the upper hand in terms of how the season has unfolded. I wanted to kind of shed light on a few more things in, in addition to a cool uh, shared and provided. Oklahoma State also pretty known for a good rushing attack, especially with Spencer Sanders at quarterback. He's a pr- pretty elusive mobile mobile guy. They had 54 yards on 30 carries. Um, 
that's pretty, I mean, obviously not the same type of guy, but it's almost kind of emblematic of what they did to Ricky Williams that one year, right? A bunch of hype coming into that game of what that Texas offense could do with Ricky Williams, and they, and they shut him down. Um, different, a little bit different scenarios, but uh, similar performance, I would I would imagine. And then just kind of going back to the arts play stuff and everything that core, here's an interesting stat I thought. Oklahoma State didn't have – because this kind of shows how it was a complete performance, start to finish, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Oklahoma State didn't have a quarter where they got 100 yards, not one quarter. Um, they were under 100 yards in each of the four quarters. They only had 16 yards in the second quarter. <laughs> 16 yards in the second quarter, 1.8 yards per play in the second quarter for Oklahoma State. So I thought um, that was very interesting. Like Cole said, uh, 3.4 yards per play on the day, but they had three quarters where they were under four yards per play. Did they even get inside the K-State 30 in that game? No, I saw someone say, now this is this was just a tweet from someone on K-State Twitter. I saw someone say they didn't get inside the K-State 34 the entire <laughs> I mean, I think um, their best drive was Gundy at the end and at quarterback when he threw the interception that Crew Jackson picked off. And and I don't think they were probably within the K-State 35 at that point. The, um, final, the final drive of the game that Oklahoma State had was on the Kansas State 32, but they had – Okay. Uh, Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, I don't. There was not a time where they really threatened to score, right? I mean, just the play where Brendan Presley got stripped by Austin Moore. Uh, right. They were, you know, about to get into the K State like thirty-five. But shout, man! How about the K State linebackers? Dude, that I mean, guy. Uh, so first of all, Austin Moore, just he's incredible. And Brock Heward talked him up on the broadcast. I've only gotten to rewatch the first half so far. Shout out to our guy Brock Heward. He's the best there is in the business um, at calling college football games. But Austin Moore making that play 30 yards downfield, stripping the ball. And then I got to give a lot of credit to Nick Allen. You know, I, I was critical uh, of Nick Allen's play at TCU. Chris Kleiman praised him at the press conference this week. Fifth year senior, came off a tour in ACL, and I thought he was terrific. I thought Oklahoma State may be able to expose him. To be fair, Oklahoma State was without their starting running back, Dominique Richardson. But still, I mean, the Nixon kid had eight carries for 64 yards last week against Texas. Uh, and they couldn't get anything going against K-State. K-State's linebackers played great. Gavin Forche, Jake Clifton. I thought Jake Clifton really flashed, guys. I mean, I, I think they're, as a true freshman, the future is bright for that kid. I would agree. And uh, just to kind of go back, uh, they were inside a Kansas State 40-yard line, looks like three times. So it was when they threw the interception, the last drive was on the 32, as I already originally indicated. First drive of the game, they got to the 38 when they turned it over on downs. They went for it on the fourth down. They were at the Kansas State 38-yard line. And then when they fumbled it, um, when Austin Moore punched it out, that was at the Kansas State 18. Okay, so I guess it really it, it just depends on if you want to semantics, whether or not you want to count the the fumble play. But, I mean, it's, it's insane. And, I mean, it was just – I I mean, D.Y., you're, you, first of all, you had a different view than I. I was in row six, so, like, I was pretty – up close and personal, I'm not getting a great view of of how things are breaking down. But like, I schematically, how did they do this? Like, uh, Crew Jackson, Jay Clifton had to play some. I Crew Jackson, I know, was at the end of the game. But like, using Jay Clifton, um, they didn't have Khalid Duke for the first half, and we're just absolutely dominant. Um, schematically, how how exactly did this happen when we thought linebacker was going to be just such a such a huge huge hole? My guys just played better, really. I don't think that they really changed up whole much schematically. Even Mike Gundy said their defense did what they showed that they've done all season on right. tape. They, they went to a six DB look 
on a couple third downs. It's not like they went to that exclusively. I think they might have done that four or five times throughout the entire game. So if they, they didn't change anything schematically or philosophy, philosophically about what they did. If you want to say they, they didn't think changed, they controlled the line of scrimmage a little bit better, even if they weren't getting to the quarterback with just three, which it's fine. You three Five guys should be able to block three. If you don't want to send more than three, that's, that's what's going to happen. They were okay with that to play coverage, and it worked. It was a wise strategy. But in terms of the running game, they controlled the line of scrimmage. Nick Allen just played better. Uh, Austin Moore is just an animal every game that you can count on. I think he might – I mean, I haven't seen a better – Kansas State's played how many Big 12 teams so far? Five? I'm not sure I've seen a better linebacker this year than Austin Moore. Um, I'm, that's not hyperbole in my opinion. He's he's that good. Desmond Purnell was really good when he went in for Crew Jackson – or Crew Jackson, Khalid Duke for the entire first half. I mean, guys just played better. Um and Eli Huggins had a really good game at nose guard. I think he might be the best nose in the league. And uh, like Gavin Forshay rose to the occasion with the snaps that he was given. And Jake Clifton doing what he was did. I mean, I think he's played zero inside linebacker at Kansas State until this week. Yeah. Uh, so, to, so to do that in those circumstances is pretty phenomenal. It kind of makes you scratch your head at like how he's able to do that. It just shows you how smart of a football player he probably is at this point. I thought K-State's tackling was terrific. You know, against against TCU, there was a lot of yards after contact. Kendra Miller and uh, Kansas State's open field tackling in this game was was sensational. Uh, there were a couple times like stood out. Spencer Sanders one on one. Brendan Mott gets a sack on him. I mean, how many times do you see a guy like Sanders elude that and escape? Another time, uh, K State rushed three, and he Spencer Sanders gets out in the open field, and Nick Allen makes the tackle, and they have to punt right there. Uh, I just thought they were really good. And then you know, we talked about the linebackers, defensive line. But K-State's corners, uh, Julius Brents and Echo Boydo were terrific. I mean, Echo Boydo was glued to his guy the entire the game. Best game of the year. He's played really good last few weeks. Yeah, he was just terrific. He could not been. He, he looked like he was the receiver on half those routes because he was in a position to, to make the catch so many times, which is why the OSU guy had to tackle him so many times and somehow didn't get flagged, as you guys mentioned earlier. So he was great. Julius Brents was really good. Josh Hayes, Kobe Savage, all the safeties K-State rotated. I mean, I can't find anybody that really played poorly for Kansas State's defense. A lot of gang tackling, flying around all over the football field. And they hold Oklahoma State to 6-19 on third and fourth downs. The TCU game, 12-23, that was a problem. But in this game, K-State was consistently able to get off the field on third and fourth downs and get the offense back on the field. And I know we'll talk about the offense soon as well, but those were some of the things that really stood out. And you hold Spencer Sanders to 15 to 33 passing. Actually, the OSU team is a total 15 to 33 passing. I think Sanders was 13 to 26, but 4.9 yards per pass. Uh, just an all around and incredible defensive performance. My yeah. only plea, my only plea, sorry to cut you off there, Kurtz, would be to the officials, like in the future, the rest of the Kansas State games. If you're an official, probably not listening to this, but if you are, I get Felix Andy DK Zama is really, really good. I get it. It's really, really hard to block him. But that doesn't mean you can just let the offensive line tackle that dude like every single play. Like, I I don't know if there's a guy that gets held more than Felix Andy DK Zama. And I don't know that it's even being called once this year. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, it, like between the TCU and um, and this past week, the, the, the amount of times that he gets held is – and I'm not just – crying about officials to cry about officials. I'm typically not a guy that gets into that yuck, you know, but man, he is held more than anyone I've ever seen. And it, and it should be a focal point for officials. You got the best defensive end in the conference. All right. 
you should see knowing going to that game. He's going to be difficult to block. So an official should be looking for what's going on with that guy. And they're so obvious. I mean, Oklahoma State one time had the, the offensive tackle at his arm around Felix's neck. That was the one I mean, that got me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, what are you looking at? I, I get that holding occurs a lot, but you got to at least call one or two of the obvious ones. Yeah, yeah, agreed on that. I was just going to make the point that with defense, you know, people talk about program wins. Uh, I remember this like a couple weeks ago with Texas, you know, program win, didn't didn't really have a great day, but grinded it out against Iowa State and found a way to get that win. I To me, like this, this speaks much more to a program win because – they, they had time to game plan right around the injuries as opposed to being thrust into it with Daniel Green going out at TCU, which I think does make a big difference. So that's a part of it. The coaching, the culture to have nobody panic or freak out about it like we were here behind microphones on podcasts and then just young guys stepping up, you know, I mean, seeing younger players and guys that have not played much this year, like a Jake Clifton, like a Gavin Forche making plays uh, and being out there and stepping up in a time when when they really needed it. To me, this is it's like a game that showed the K State has some more depth than I think even we thought. Like, this program really has built depth that they did not have in 2019 or 2020 when when Climate first took over. I just feel like we're we're seeing the the fruits of a lot of the labor over the last two, three, four years that they've been working very, very hard on on all those different. I think it's like three pronged it's like coaching, culture, and just talent and guys actually out there on the field and depth of who you have. I think we probably underestimated that. Yeah, I would agree. I also think something we probably nailed correctly in the offseason, it took a different path and journey to get here than what we were anticipating because they're having to use a lot of different guys that maybe we didn't foresee them having to use. And there's some guys that are a lot better than we thought they'd be and maybe maybe a few that we thought they'd be able to deploy that they haven't been. But that's the defense. I think the, the entire talking point in the offseason, which, man, Kansas State's going to have a really damn good defense and Adrian Martinez is going to be enough a quarterback to make that offense go that they can be a dangerous team. Uh, for the most part, that's kind of how this year has played out. Once Adrian got going, and now you see Will Howard going, you're getting enough a quarterback, and maybe more than you thought you'd get a quarterback, especially um, in reference to Will Howard. But the defense is as lights out as we thought what their upside and potential would be. Uh, to your point, John, I mean, program win is a pretty good way to put it because Chris Kleiman didn't use injuries as an excuse coaching staff didn't use injuries as an excuse all week. And we were using it as an excuse as we talked about it. We were sulking. They didn't sulk. They prepped harder than ever. Chris Kleiman talked Will Howard up for years saying, we know this guy can be good. Look what he did. Your starting quarterback can't go. Will Howard steps in and plays the game of his life. He's played two terrific games back to back. They obviously have instilled confidence in him. They were patient. The reality is Will Howard's a very good quarterback in all likelihood, as it seems. And he probably just was played too early in his career out of necessity. Uh, these guys bounced back from what was a very challenging loss and all the injuries that they had to go through. So I think a program defining win is a good way to, to summarize what we witnessed on Saturday. And the first one for climbing over Oklahoma state, which is maybe a good sign to kind of buck that trend because here comes two more that he hasn't beaten. The only other thing I was going to mention on the defensive side, guys, I thought it was interesting. They, uh, in the second half, Khalid Duke had his hand on the ground a few times at defensive yeah, end, which I think was, yeah. And he actually was down in a three point stance. So I, I just noticed that and thought that was a little bit interesting, but they, they knew that OSU was just dropping back to pass at that point. So it makes sense. Yeah. Well, 
tell uh, tell Gunner Gundy about all that. Gunner is that his name? Whatever, Gundy, Gundy's kid with his hands shaking. That that shot where he zoomed in on his hands, he's literally just shaking, nervous. Like, man, I mean, that's that's what the K State defense did yesterday. Reduced Oklahoma State to that. Um, you know, you brought up a, an interesting name there, Cole. That name is is one Will Howard. Um, let me just say this: I, I Will Howard has been on a tear since I took a very stupid shot at him at the end of whatever pod that was, oh, was sitting, in, was sitting in Kansas City and I and it was going to TCU and I was like oh you know at least Will Howard isn't playing quarterback this time so I would like to just publicly say I'm a dumbass that I'm sorry Will uh because that was and, and it's I mean it's clear Cole like what you said the narrative about him like yes some freshman quarterbacks can come in and play very well you know I mean there are a handful of those guys that can do that and are that talented Will was a three-star quarterback and is much more like the majority of quarterbacks that if you were to throw them out there their first year in the program in 2020, you know, they're going to be exposed and they're going to look bad. And then people formulate opinions and there's so much noise with all these podcasts and damn people on Twitter like us and everything that, you know, it's just hard to maintain your confidence if you're a kid at that point. We've always heard about, you know, practice will. Practice will is great. But when it comes to putting it out there on the field in games, it hadn't worked out. And I have to imagine so much of that is just in his head. Like, having your confidence rattled because you were thrust into such a bad situation. Thanks to Rico Jeffers knocking Skylar Thompson out for the 2020 season. So it's just, I think it's such a great, I mean, it's a great story. Number one, along with the Adrian comeback story, you have maybe the two best comeback stories at quarterback in the country on the same damn roster. Um, but it, it also is just such a, it's, it's so vindicating. I think for, for Will to see that and such a cool thing to see that play out. And it's so emblematic of kind of what the environment is today as a college football player and what like the media and, and fan landscape is uh, and just such a testament to him for sticking it out and sticking around here at K-State. I mean, I, I don't have it. I, I will go on forever. I, there are not enough good things I can say about Will Howard at this point. I mean, really, no matter what happens the, the rest of the year for him to have that moment and get carried off on the shoulders of his teammates, uh, an incredible photo from K-State that they put out with the whole crowd there. And then you can see him just being lifted up above everybody else. Hell, I, I felt so bad about the comment I made. I was I made it a point to go find this on on. Well, I saw uh, somebody on Twitter brought this up. I was going to make sure I mentioned it on the podcast. WillHowardQB.com. You can go buy Will Howard gear right now. Go go buy some freaking Will Howard gear, man. Uh, like help help that dude out. Whatever you can do because he he deserves it all. He deserves every last bit of praise uh, from what he's done the last two. Years. I agree. I, I can't think of. When it was, it was when I was with Rivals still, in case the online was still affiliated with Rivals. It was during the offseason. And this is not to toot my own horn, but just to kind of show that he's an easy guy to root for just because of what he's persevered through and what he chose to do and how he chose to handle it. I said, you know, I hope Will – I think I said something along the lines of I hope Will Howard gets rewarded for his commitment, his patience, and his devotion to Kansas State. It would have been easy. Any, Everyone's like, well, where would he have gone, right? Because I said anybody else would have probably transferred under the similar circumstances, especially, you know, given the strife that he probably had to hear, had to see uh, the criticism and the flack that he had to hear, that he had to see. Like, uh, they're not immune from that. They're, you know, they see that stuff. They're on social media. They, it's, it's hard not to look for it or, or look at it. He saw all of the stuff that was said about him for two years. So for and anyone else, I already said it. Would have jetted. Everyone's like, well, "Where would he have gone?" Anyone would have taken a starting quarterback at a power, a power five quarterback with a starting quarterback experience. Maybe it wouldn't have been at the power five level, 
but guys still go, even if it's to go down a level, anybody would have done it. He didn't. So he deserved this moment more than the typical college kid. So it's, it's kind of a heartwarming story. Um, we'll see where it goes from here. If it continues to unfold, that's probably another conversation to have because it'll be interesting how they unwind that quarterback room. Now, what I will say is they got to get two level-headed mature kids that they probably can't go wrong with at this point, um, at least if Will Howard's momentum continues. And, and to a point where both would probably handle it, even if it doesn't go their way. Well, they're great teammates. They're great kids, him and Adrian. And you could see it. I mean, D.Y., you were the one that actually alerted me to the photo in the locker room of Adrian and Will embracing in a hug. And you'd mentioned it was your favorite photo from yesterday. And I echo that. I mean, that really just shows what type of a teammate Adrian is. He's a great locker room guy. And Will is the same way. And I just feel so great for Will Howard. Like I've been critical of Will Howard's play in his career at Kansas state. To your point, most guys would have been gone and would have jetted from Kansas state after the criticism and what he had to deal with and just want a fresh start. And he could have easily gone he's six foot four, six, five. All right. Like he's got physically imposing and would have had chances to go play. He had offers from every Ivy league school. Practically. He could have easily went back home, probably played some Ivy league football, got a great education if he wanted but he stuck it out here and it's hard not to feel just tremendously uh, compassionate and, and grateful for what he was able to put out there on Saturday and to have that moment and a win uh, was pretty special. And, you know, look, we'll talk about it more of what this means going forward. I mean, for one, it means you feel a heck of a lot better about next season, right? Is next year as much of a rebuilding year as we thought? Probably not because you don't have to rush Avery Johnson out there. We have now seen enough from Will Howard, in my opinion, that we know the physical talent is there. I just needed to see it back-to-back games. And to do it against an Oklahoma State team that knows him well, that's seen him twice already, and to put up that type of performance, that game plan for him, they knew he was likely to play, that that makes it all the more important to me and special of a performance. So, yeah, I, I, we can make that talking point down the road, but it, it certainly does alleviate some pressure going into 2023. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot. I mean, I even think, I was talking to Chris Nelson about this at the game. I was like, all right, so, you know, 2023, if it's going to be Will Howard's team, you know, I mean, that certainly looks like it's possible now. But I was like, I mean, does 2024 get tricky? Because he still has that eligibility. And then Avery Johnson, second year in the program. You want to, I mean, anyway, good problems to have. Conversation for a different day, that piece of it anyway. But I mean, honestly, let me let me just say this. I, Will Howard is a much better man than I. I think that's yeah. like what we were all kind of dancing around right here. Will Howard is a much better everyone too after the game. Yeah, but much, much better man than I. And like just continues to take the high road. That post-game interview, like was just deflecting everything to his teammates. I mean, just much, much better man than I could ever be. So I mean, kudos, kudos to Will on that. And I mean, as far as what he was doing, I, I think Kleiman made this point in the post-game press conference. You know, it's a 48 to nothing win. K-State, I don't think, was going to be shut down or denied in, in any way on Saturday, especially with what Oklahoma State brought to the table. But in a blowout game like that, if you want to circle one play, I mean, it's fourth and 10. It's the first drive of the game, fourth and 10. Deuce Vaughn, of all people, gets a false start penalty, and it's a little frustrating. That was Swanson had the drop, right, on that drive. So you're sitting there like, man – this is a drive that had a lot of promise. Now, now it's fourth and 10, kind of in no man's land. What are you going to do here? And Will slides the pocket, sets his feet, and throws a freaking dime to Cade Warner on fourth and 10 into the end zone. I mean, it just it doesn't get more clutch than that. It doesn't get more uh, just on target. Just great, great mechanics, great play, took some balls. I mean, just all of it was was amazing. And that play really set the tone for the game when if that doesn't go your way, you may be in for a much more of a dogfight than what it turned out to be. Yeah, he had another fourth down throw too, where I think Hadley Panther missed a block, and the guy came through on, on unevaded, and you know stood in there, took took that pressure, and delivered a strike to Malik Knowles for a first down, I believe. And I think that was probably at least fourth and medium. So uh, showing that the game's definitely slowed down. You have to like that. Um, that's a great example of that. You know what? Chris Klein deserves some praise, right? Um, this is why. His players love playing for him. Uh, he, his, you know, unabashed confidence, which can come across in media settings for two fans as pretty annoying sometimes. I get it because he will talk up players that are really going through it. Nick Allen last week was really going through it. Hayden Gillum a few weeks ago was really going through it. Will Howard the last two years were really going through it. And he sticks by his guys. And he will not back down from his – you know, confidence in him and and trying to talk them up because he knows that players play better when they feel good about themselves. And I think that confidence was rewarded by Will Howard's performance. I think Chris Kleiman being the guy that kind of sticks in there for Will, and Will even said it, you know, I'm Chris Kleiman stick there for him meant a lot. And that's probably played a role in Will not leaving because he knew the head coach believed in him still. And also probably had a part in, in Will's performance. And, and it's why guys that are playing a lot of football also don't leave Kansas State. I'm not saying that won't happen in the future with the with the advent of the transfer portal and what it's doing to many teams. And it's, it's happened to Kansas State, but in terms of some most of the time, the guys that are really playing, it hasn't hurt them. It probably will in the future. It's just, you know, the the age of college athletics and era that we are in. But for the most part, they have a loyalty to Chris Kleiman because he has a loyalty to them. Uh, John, you mentioned the fourth and 10 to start the game there, 38-yard TD pass to Cade Warner. Look, last week it was a story at Kansas State 
I mean, look, let's be honest. The story of this game going into it was best third down defense in the Big 12, Oklahoma State, at 25% conversion rate allowed against the worst third down offense in the Big 12, K-State, which is 114th in the country at around 31% on third down conversions. And last week against TCU, the offense couldn't stay on the field. And look, you look at the final box score, K-State's 5 of 15 on third down, which doesn't sound great, right? But they converted all three fourth downs. So they're eight of 18 between third and fourth down against the best third down defense in the league. But let's go through just a list of the third and fourth downs K-State faced in this game. There was no gimmies, really. Fourth and 10, third and five, K-State gets a PI on Oklahoma State because Will Howard's willingness to throw it downfield to Malik Knowles draws a pass interference. Third and six, 31-yard touchdown pass to Phillip Brooks. Third and eight. 41-yard touchdown pass to Cade Warner on a perfect slip screen call. Hell of a play call by Colin Klein there and just didn't have anybody out in front to to even get Cade Warner. Third and 10, they get an eight-yard pass to to Warner, all right? And that gets them into a fourth and two at the 24, manageable. They get it. I think that's the fourth and two you're mentioning, D.Y., where they ran a unique play where they motion sent it out and ran kind of a slip screen to Malik Knowles, and he gets four yards on that play, which was another unique play call that we'd seen. Oh, that's a different one. Mine was the other one, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Third and nine, 13-yard pass to Malik Knowles. Third and six, five-yard run, gets him in a fourth and one. Will Howard converts on a running play on fourth and one. So uh, my point is they faced a lot of challenging third and fourth down situations, and they converted most of them. You know, against that defense, that's not easy to do. Um, I was probably thinking of the third and nine to Knowles then, yeah. Yeah, that, that might have been it. And uh, Oklahoma State led the Big 12 coming into the game with 8.6 tackles for loss, number seven in the country. One tackle for loss Saturday against Kansas State. One negative play. And Brock mm-hmm. Martin played. They yep. had all of their weapons on the defensive line. Colin Oliver, Tyler Lacey, Brock Martin. All Crazy. their best defensive linemen. They were out there. Yeah. They couldn't do anything. No, that kind of goes back to our point for the TCU game, which I guess never really bared a whole lot of fruit, but Kansas State was one of the better teams in preventing havoc them and TCU both. So that showed up against Oklahoma State. That's a big thing. You kind of made me think about that defensive pass interference that Malik Knowles drew. Just wanted to make that observation. That was probably one of the times where if they didn't throw that flag, it wouldn't have bothered me. Like I, the flag that they did throw, which is that one, I didn't know. I didn't think that was an obvious defensive pass interference. Well, and I, Cole said because Will was willing to throw that ball. That was – I love the call. I love the willingness to throw it. I loved everything about that. And that that takes me to another point here. I mean, I have so many points I want to make. I've got yeah. – we've got it. We've got it. Colin Klein, I love what you said about the play calling. I mean, how about the the play to Deuce, which was, you know, for the touchdown at the end of the first half, another huge play. Um, and and it was just so nifty. You know, they, they shift – it was like Andy Reid style almost, right? Totally shift and they get just enough hesitation from moving Deuce around to where he has just like a half step on, I think, a linebacker or safety, whoever it is that's coming out there. And, I mean, it takes a perfect throw and an unbelievable catch, but they get it for what was a massive play. I mean, if you're having any thought of TCU 2.0 happening, it would be not converting that play there at the end of the half. So, I mean, Colin deserves a lot of credit there. But I, Malik Knowles, man, Cole, you tweeted out the stats of what he's been the last two weeks. With Will Howard, Malik Knowles suddenly is the guy that we've been waiting for years I mean this is the the potential realized for for Malik now because Will is a guy willing more so than Adrian to to push the ball downfield and not you know Adrian been utilizing him some but Will Howard is going to him early and often they're finding Colin is scheming up ways to get him open use his talent and we always know you get an engaged Malik Knowles 
it's a totally different ball game. And we've seen so many – he's knocking down passes that should be intercepted. There's the play he catches that almost goes for the touchdown at the end of the half where he he fights and fights until everybody damn near pushes him in the end zone. I mean, he's he's a different guy. I mean, he is the guy that I've wanted to see for four years now, and and it, it has all happened with Will being the quarterback. So there's yeah. just so much going on there. Right? Okay, Warner almost had 100 yards too. Gary Knowles at eight for 113. Warner at 97. It was almost the second time this year they had two receivers go over 100 yards. I think the first time was actually Iowa State, which is ironically they only scored 10 points, but – they they had better numbers against Iowa State than anyone's had against Iowa State this year, at least up until this past weekend. And they they left points on the board that game. But that just shows you in a, a little bit, I think the passing game was going to come along no matter what. I think I think there was a positive trajectory, but I think Will Howard has accelerated it. Yeah, Noel's 17 receptions, 290 yards in his last three games, uh 17 yards per reception over that time frame already now has surpassed his career high for receiving yards in a season and receptions. And there's still four regular season games left to play. Um, yeah. I think we did the over under prediction for Malik Knowles right around what, like 600, 700 yards before the year. And he's now trending toward right around that number. Uh, he certainly looks to be very engaged and it's not just, you know, Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, eight catches his last three games for 210 yards. And you mentioned Warner the last few games. I mean, they're, they're utilizing their weapons. Maybe the receiver room isn't as bad as we thought it was because now they're actually finding the opening guys and willing to stretch it downfield. I mean, the Phillip Brooks touchdown was a great route yesterday where he yes. he peeled off with Senate and you know showed some of the different route tree combinations that they're willing to run. And I thought that was tremendous. And John, when we talk about willingness to throw the ball downfield, I mean, how many incompletions in case they throw downfield too? but they were willing to throw it vertical. I mean, I can count at least five that they they threw it 25 plus yards downfield yesterday and they may not have been caught, but showing that willingness to stretch the field opens up the running game for Deuce Vaughn to have more holes. And I thought Deuce Vaughn had more holes yesterday, more gaping, bigger holes than he's had in a while to run through, even without the threat of the quarterback run game. And I think that's largely because the play calling wasn't predictable. They were stretching the field. And I, how many times K-State even up 35 nothing, 38 nothing. when you're thinking, oh, just run the ball, drain the clock, they were dropping back to pass the ball. I mean, they were throwing the ball on first down, second down, uh, not just trying to melt the clock. I mean, they were that confident. In the end, it's about as balanced as you can get. 37 running plays, 37 passes. 50-50 right down the middle. That's that's a heck of a, a game for Kansas State. When you win a game 48 nothing and you still throw it 37 times, that says Colin Klein's got a lot of confidence in his quarterback. I like how it was exactly 50-50, 37, 37. And Cole said it's about as balanced if you know that uh, is. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I was just trying to be a little bit uh sarcastic there, but yeah, and then it leads to a time of possession of 35 minutes to 24 minutes in the game, which was an important factor. And to the point of stretching the field, K-State now in its last two games under Will Howard, 13 completed passes for over 20 yards. They had 10 completed passes over 20 yards in their first six games combined. So it's more explosives in the passing game, not relying as heavily on the running game. And that has resulted in an average of, let's see, I, I tweeted this out earlier. I just want to make sure I find it again because I want to make sure I'm accurate as I, I stall here. But uh, K-State's averaging 9.8 yards per pass over its last three games, which is the seventh highest mark in the country during that time and the best in the Big 12. Uh, K-State's offense is averaging 6.9 yards per play in five Big 12 games. And just for context of how the good that is, 
UCLA ranks seventh in the country for the entire season at 6.9 yards per play right now. So the offense is showing a lot of explosiveness. So let me, uh, let me just pose this question then. Where, who's, who's trotting out their quarterback uh, Saturday at six o'clock on FS one? Uh, because I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, it's gotta be will, right? You can't, you can't stop this train now. I, yeah. Uh, we, we'll have time to break it down and hear what they're going to say on Tuesday. And Here's my, here's my era. I'll, I'll go. So, one, I don't necessarily envy the situation that Chris Kleiman is in. It's going to be a slope that he'll have to navigate. But I think he has another week of this. I think and some of this is probably not a facade, right? I'm going to use the word facade, but it doesn't have to be. Adrian Martinez, according to Chris Kleiman, admitted that he just didn't feel good enough about what he was able to do when he went through warm-ups before the game, and that's when they went with the decision to play Will Howard. So obviously they had every intention of playing Adrian Martinez at that point. Had he give them the go-ahead that, hey, I can do everything that you're going to ask out of me. But he says – I. but he, he was honest and admitted that he didn't think he could. Um, so I would assume – to hear something similar this week, whether it's true or not, I bet it might be. I mean, if Adrian Martinez couldn't go last week, at best he's questionable in a game-time decision again this week, and it's probably the verbiage that we will hear throughout the week. But I would use that with Will Howard playing as well as he can. You can buy another week to get Adrian Martinez healthy. You don't have to play him because of how well Will Howard's playing. And if Will Howard, for whatever reason, does hit – a wall a little bit against Texas and the offense stalls and there's just no fire there and they need a spark. Guess what? Adrian Martinez is there in your back pocket. That's how I would manage it this week. Yeah. Where I'm at is you, you now have seen Will Howard do enough to where you don't put Adrian Martinez on the field until you know, he's absolutely 100% healthy. There's no reason to risk him, get him back to 100% health where he feels comfortable being his total self on the football field, and that is being able to utilize his legs and his mobility. Um, so get him healthy because you can still play two ga- two more games of Will Howard and maintain his redshirt status, which by all accounts he'd like to redshirt, which actually then gives him three years of eligibility left, right, D.Y., if he does redshirt? You would have two, if he would redshirt, I think you would have two years left, right? Well, he had the COVID season, oh, three, three, so it didn't yeah. count. So, yeah. Um, so you can kind of manage this. It's a difficult situation because love Adrian would hate to see him lose his starting job because of an injury like this and, and want him to have the most success. But at the same time, big 12 title aspirations are on the line. And so, I mean, I'm even to the point where if Will is the best option, you know, you have to go for the big 12 title this year. If that means burning his red shirt. Oh, forget the, who you, cares about Yeah, the Yeah. You, you burn the red shirt. Yeah, now you got to make sure Will's fine with that, and I'm sure he would be. Uh, no, he would. I think it was only. I think the reason why the red shirt has come into play this year is because last year he he could have done the selfish thing, which would probably wouldn't have even been selfish. He'd burn a red shirt just to play in the Texas game because they didn't have a starting quarterback available. Yeah, but but I mean to the to the end point, I just make sure that Adrian is 100 percent healthy before you put him back on the field. So if that means resting him against Texas, you can kind of protect Adrian too in doing that, right? By using the injury. You know, if he couldn't go last week, you can protect, you know, the reputation and everything and still give Will another week and uh, see how he does and what will be a monstrous game against the Longhorns under the lights. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page. I mean, there you don't – and I, I would imagine that this is how it's going to play out. I mean, I, I heard 
The only thing that concerned me a little bit on that is I heard climate at one point slip in there. Like, yes, Adrian said he couldn't go like, and we felt like this was going to be more a game where we would have to do a lot of damage through the air. So it, it made sense to have Will out there. And I was like, uh, okay, well, I hope it's not like you look at Texas defense and be like, eh, they're going to be a little more susceptible to the quarterback run or something and, and rush Adrian back too early because of that and, and stop the Will Howard momentum. It's tricky. It's, but I, I, I agree. I don't think it's that tricky this week. I think it probably gets more tricky after Texas. I still think you have two personalities very well equipped and mature enough to handle it appropriately to not let the season get out of. I think, and I think Adrian's a good enough leader and a good enough teammate that he'll be honest. And if he doesn't feel he's hundred percent and he knows Will Howard is the best thing for Kansas state as a program heading into that Texas game, he'll be honest because of what Chris Kleiman said yesterday, right before kick is when Adrian was just like, I couldn't, I don't think I can be a hundred percent and give it a go. Will's the best thing for this football team in this game. Like Adrian could have went out there and tried to force it, but he didn't. And I, I just think, from a character standpoint, Adrian's everything you would want to be able to handle this situation, and I think he'll handle it well, and uh, I think you roll Will Howard out there against Texas. I honestly also credit a lot of Will Howard's success uh, that he's been able to kind of reverse his fortunes, so to speak, at least in the last two games. We'll see if that continues. Is to being around Adrian Martinez. It has probably helped him to kind of been able to commiserate a little bit with a guy that basically was dealt a similar hand at Nebraska as, as Will was dealt in the first years of his career against State well, in terms of the struggle and overcoming it. That's why that picture, that hug's pretty special too because you got two of the more criticized quarterbacks, especially in the Big 12 and, and the country, and embracing because they're two, uh, you mentioned it earlier, you guys did two of the better redemption stories uh, in the same locker room. Uh, it's It's pretty special. A lot of it, again, I think goes back to two just the – work that they've done since 2020 to just retool the entire culture of the locker room period, to be able to have a locker room that can not be choosing sides, not be, you know, I even think back to, and I'm not trying to take a shot. This is not designed to be a shot at Bill Snyder's program, certainly. Um, but, you know, two quarterback things are just so tricky. I mean, it's like Sam's waters, you know, I mean, I, I, taking all my stupid stick out of it, like that, that was, that was pretty tough at the time. I remember covering the team. It was like, I don't know. There was a receiver at one point. I'm not even gonna throw out a name, but that was kind of like, you know, made a comment after that Texas game they lost in 2013. Like, we don't know why the other guy wasn't playing more. You know, I mean, it's very easy for a locker room to splinter like that. I don't, I just Delton's you don't have color. that here. You don't have that here at all. And they and at one point in 2020, I mean, I'll never forget that Iowa State post-game press conference where Kleiman said, like, basically admitted, like, yeah, we've got some locker room issues, like we've got to figure this out. And they had you guys, again, I won't mention names. You guys know some of the, the dudes that were problems back then that, that are now out of the program, and they took it seriously to go after the character aspect of this, and they've obviously done a phenomenal job in a couple of years of repairing that. Yeah, and he, I was going to say, even the Dalton Skyler thing was a little messy. So. Yeah. Oh, that was completely mismanaged. Just a what a, Just Yeah, a what a complete debacle. And, I mean, I think we were at Morgantown at West Virginia when uh, in 2018 when Bill ripped Skyler to the media about the quarterback sneak and basically called him soft. Um, and before the Iowa State game and Ames still trying to see if Alex Delton injured could give it a go. Um, and then Skyler balls out. Look, I could name all the names, John. You want me to? I mean, 2013 was Tremaine Thompson, right? That was not not as a bad character guy. Okay. Not a bad, to be clear, 
but he was questioning why the other guy he's was coaching right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Listen, uh, I loved Tremaine, and I loved him for it at the time because I was a Daniel Sams guy, and he was like, "Why isn't Daniel Sams out here?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a couple more numbers, real quick, guys, uh, that I'll throw out uh, now at home. K State's forced fourteen turnovers, only turned the ball over twice. That's <laughs> pretty darn good. Kind of remarkable that all fourteen turnovers now are at home. That narrative continues to build. I mean, we talked about it heading into the game, yep. and then the one one group that we didn't really talk much about that I wanted to give a shout out to was the offensive line. Thought they played really good on Saturday and um, opened up holes in the running game, but also protected Will. If you drop back 37 times against that OSU defense and don't get sacked, they're doing something right. And K-State now, believe it or not, 13th in the country in sack percentage allowed with 3.1%. They allowed a sack rate of 7% last year. Only 3.1. Now, granted, again, part of that's elusiveness. Yeah, Yeah, they're getting better. Uh, Part of that also is Adrian earlier in the year eluding some of the sacks that would have normally been made. But it's also a credit to them. They haven't haven't allowed a sack against TCU or OSU. That's, uh, what, 58 pass attempts without allowing a sack the last two games. They've redeemed themselves. Talk about redemption. They've, They've redeemed themselves. Interesting question, uh, and I know we're probably tailing off here at the end of the podcast, but um, look, t- I think Texas is probably the, one of the tougher matchups left on the schedule for Kansas State, but they do get them at home. So, uh, and you got Kansas home, you got to go to Baylor, you got to go to West Virginia. Is Texas the game you are worried the most about? Can I can I can I throw in real quick too? Just shout out to Hadley Panzer for absolutely. He's so removing a soul from a body on the that was the Kate Warner screen, I think, right? Like just whipped the guy and then <laughs> stood over him. Like Nelson caught that and was like, dude, you gotta watch the replay of Hadley Panzer. And I saw yeah, it. The, there was another oh, one where Ben Sinnott took took someone's he, uh, he did uh, yeah, on, a, on a wham play to do so the yeah. yeah, Brock Brock Heward called it a, a wham play on the rewatch. Uh he uh, Brock Heward, for those of you who haven't rewatched the game really highlighted the Hadley Panzer block. Uh, he absolutely loved that. They came back from break and he was highlighting that. And I got to give a shout out to Hadley Panzer's family. They came by our tailgate down in Fort Worth. Nicest people you'll ever meet. Had a great conversation with Hadley's dad. How grateful it's Kansas great. State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was enjoyable to have them around. Uh, so yeah, they uh, shout out to Hadley. And the only other thing I wanted to mention from the broadcast, John, you mentioned the uh, touchdown pass to Deuce um, on that fourth and one there at the end. Brock Heward called it the best pass of Will Howard's career. Just the ball yeah. placement. You could only put it in, in a little window, and he put it in the perfect window. Heck of a play by Deuce still, too. But there was not a lot of space there, and he put it in the perfect spot. So it could have been, of- I mean, if you miss, that's a pick six. That's not an incompletion. Exactly. That's a pick six. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, um, not a whole lot of running backs that are making that kind of catch either. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. To be able to flip your body, like to, to not – the way Deuce catches it and then rotates his body so he doesn't trap it on the ground, right, and lands on his back. That, that's just an incredible play by Deuce as well. Uh, D.Y., to your question. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Can I, can I throw oh. I got, I've got one more thing on the game. Yep. I, kicker. Kicker. Ty Zentner oh. gets a couple field goals. And Look, I will just say this, and I nothing against Chris Tennant. Ty Zentner looked confident, and the ball looks like a freaking field goal should look when it came off his leg. I know those weren't impressively long field goals or anything, but just the way that that looked, Lucas Tennant, it's like even when he had been making them, they're sneaking in, they're kind of ugly. Like, I don't know. I know it's a lot on Ty Zentner's plate, but I felt a hell of a lot more comfortable watching him out there kicking the ball. 
I mean, they're, he's certainly got the job as long as he does that. He's the kicker for the foreseeable future. Uh, it, it, it's not a long-term solution either. I hope that folks remember that. This is his final four or five games. Um, he, he leaves too. But he kicked a butler, so this is nothing new to him. What I will say is he's going to have a tired leg before it's all said and done. I know that sounds weird. Like, what's, what's two or three more kicks? But, I mean, well, it's also press, pressure kicks too. And you're also kicking off and punting. And even just a – one percent more tired you know it's a little bit of a shorter kickoff that can be returned or it's a little bit of a shorter punt that can be returned things you have to take into consideration can you have tenant yeah. handle kickoff he's got a big leg yeah i mean that that's something maybe they should consider i would i would think as well i would i wouldn't be against it at all and people think what's three more kicks in a game but it's seriously if you've never been a kicker or a punter i would i wouldn't judge yeah i mean i i go out and kick try to kick on a tee to my five-year-old and I uh, feel like I'm going to pull my hamstring half the time when I go to do it. So I can't imagine. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, tenant, he's six, five, two thirty-two. It'd be a nice little linebacker going down the field on a uh, kickoff duty, you know, have a guy, a kicker six, five going down the field uh, to the point, all of Zentner's kicks were right down the middle too. I mean, could not have drilled them any better than he did. Uh, I actually was okay trying a couple of those field goals where K-State didn't punch it in because I wanted to see how Zentner's leg looked from a field goal perspective, right? Um, and so it was good to see that. Uh, I got a solution to rest him, just just eliminate punting. How about just don't even punt the ball the rest of the year, guys? Just keep scoring. And There was uh, a there was a point in the first drive where Kansas State was off and started to hum a little bit, and they, had, they kept getting a first down on either first down or second down, and it looked at Jimmy uh, – case you underscore fan in the press box is like you don't have to worry about your third down offense if you never get to third down it's like yeah what's a little the guy on twitter the gift just pointing his head <laughs> yeah um all right dy it's a great question that you had about texas yep. i would say i mean watching baylor against tech now that oh, game really? go, um you know baylor's baylor's not not going away um i to me it's between those two games i just the thing that scares me is i mean it's Bijan. Um, because like, you know, Quinn Ewers on the road has not looked very good so far this year. I think you can yeah. rattle him and get after him, but Bijan's a problem. I don't know what Daniel Green's status is going to be next week. The linebackers stepped up and played great against Oklahoma State, but like Bijan is legit. I mean, I love Deuce Vaughn to death, but boy, Bijan is. I agree. <laughs> Bijan's that dude, I think, in the Big 12. But, and, you also. You, know, you also can you also can hope that maybe Steve Sarkeesian does what he did against Oklahoma State, gets away from Bijan a little too much, and and that gives you a shot because I think if they stick with him, they probably beat the Pokes um, in Stillwater, which would would have changed things rather drastically had that happened, and it probably unfolded perfectly for Kansas State in the manner that it did. Uh, now that they've defeated Oklahoma State, I will. I mean that Baylor get here's here's my thing. Kansas State's defense has been pretty good every game for the most part, but they are so much better at home for whatever reason. Maybe it's because you got the crowd behind you that that can play a large role in it and uh, make it difficult for opposing teams when they are in Bill Snyder Family Stadium in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, but Kansas State's, you know, they're what they're able to do from an offense and defense execution standpoint is is much better at home so far this year. The Tulane game notwithstanding, so. I tend to want to be concerned about the game in Waco a little bit more, especially since they're on the upward trajectory. And I think they are better coached. 
and we'll do the right things to win. West Virginia is not going to be an easy game either. TCU, no. TCU got all they got all they wanted to handle in Morgantown. Well, I mean, well, Kansas yeah. will not. Can, but let me just go ahead and say this for the right. Kansas yeah. will not be an easy game at the end of the year either. I mean, those yeah MFers don't quit. Like they, yeah, they don't. I mean, they're they're tough. They're tough. Yeah. yeah. Well, a few things here. Kansas is going to be in all likelihood in desperation mode, potentially getting to a bowl that last game against their rivals. So they're going to throw everything out on the field against Kansas State and a potential possibility to wreck K State's Big Twelve title aspirations. You know, a rival would love to do that. Um, so that's going to be challenging if that's the situation that arises there. West Virginia, be curious where their season goes now. They're three and five. There's so a lot much of chat. <laughs> yeah, they are better at home, but there's not going to be a lot of fans there for that game in all likelihood by that tight in the season. So we'll see where they're at. Watching the Baylor Tech game last night, I was rooting for Baylor. Um, or I, I'm sorry, I was rooting for Tech. Yeah. Just kick, yeah, I was. You, you want Baylor just out of the race completely. And if they get a third loss there, especially against Tech, you've already got the tiebreaker over them. You beat them. So you don't have to worry about them, where they go from here. Um, but Baylor does have to go to OU and Texas still. And OU looks like they're they're coming back a little bit. So there's a, a strong likelihood that Baylor at least gets that third loss, even if it's not Kansas State that hands it to them. Uh, I think Texas is better than Oklahoma State. Uh, if you look at the numbers, Texas has a top 20 offense in points per drive. Uh, Oklahoma State was 34th. Oklahoma State was 61st in defense points per drive. Texas is top 30. Uh, 5.1 yards per carry. That's 19th in the country for Texas. Oklahoma State was 3.7 yards per carry, which is 91st. Areas that they might look to expose K-State with Bijan if Daniel Green can't give it a go, to your point. Um, so from a matchup perspective, it's going to be harder. That's not to diminish the win over Oklahoma State, which is still gigantic. But I would, I would lean toward Texas. Now – I'm concerned about the Baylor game and always was uh, down in Waco. But if you beat Texas, you're in a good situation where you can afford to lose that game still at Baylor uh, because I think Baylor is going to drop a third game. Now, you're not saying you want to lose to Baylor, obviously, but if you beat Texas, you then have tiebreakers over Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas. I mean, it's real. You're not going to, you probably need to root for TCU the rest of the way if you're a K State fan because I don't see any way TCU doesn't make it at this point. So just have them beat everybody else in the Big 12 the rest of the way. Um, and if K-State can go 3-1 and one with a win over Texas being one of those wins, they're a lock for Arlington, obviously. Yeah, here's what I will say about Texas. If you want to come up with an argument that Texas is not the scariest proposition left on the Kansas State schedule, as I still um, they're still at a point in the Steve Sarkeesian tenure, and I know he's only near two, I want to say, um, especially from the the, dec the years and years of culture of what has been established in Austin over time that's not particularly pleasing to their fans is I still don't know if they understand what winning football looks at the end of games and on the road. Yeah, oh, I agree. And, I mean, you know, this is a November night game in Manhattan. That, that does not typically spell success uh, for Texas generally with what you think of that program. And we got, uh, we've got Baylor at Oklahoma at two o'clock this Saturday. So we're going to find out, yeah. we're going to find out a lot about if Baylor drops that game, K-State beats Texas, you're going to be sitting at a pretty darn good spot by Saturday night at 10 o'clock in the big 12 standing. So uh, we'll see what unfolds. Iowa state and the West Virginia and the toilet bowl at two 30. Uh, you know. Oh, that's another question. Does Iowa, does Iowa state win a big 12 game? 
Uh, that's in Ames. So probably, yeah. yeah but somebody. Uh, but can I, I? I will say this: I didn't actually have a chance to watch a ton of Big Fall football yesterday because yeah. we were just out. It was you know two thirty is like the perfect tailgate time, so it was just out hanging out and then at night. But the funniest play I have seen in college football in a long time is the Oklahoma fake field goal to, to, to just flip, flip it to the sprinting kicker. Dy, it is. Nelly was telling me about it. And I was like, oh, that's okay. That's funny. They got a fake field goal for a touchdown. And then I saw it and I was like, oh my God. And they immediately cut to Matt Campbell just losing his bleep on the sideline. I mean, it was. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, Iowa State special teams, I guess, aside from the game against Kansas State, is just a complete disaster every week. Matt Campbell said at a press conference last week that they've gotten better every year or something like that. He said they keep getting better. It was something, <laughs> something to that effect. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know that West Virginia Iowa State game. The only thing that interests for me that I just mentioned West Virginia quitting on the year. They lose that game to Iowa State, and they're three and six. I think the game in Morgantown becomes a little easier for K State. I think yeah. that's a West Virginia team that starts yeah. to check it in. If they lose to an zero and five team in the Big Twelve, all we're going to hear is fire Neil Brown talk out of there. It, pro- it probably does. I mean, you're probably going to hear that regardless. I think yeah. they're at the point where Texas Tech was with Matt Wells, where no amount of wins is going to make them feel any better for whatever reason. Could you guys imagine ever pushing for Neil Brown to be the head coach at Kansas State? <laughs> Gosh, what idiots those people were that were like, oh, I are Neil Brown. I mean, yeah. 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 And Venables. I mean, Mike, Mike Norvell. <laughs> Mike Norvell, anybody? Uh, well, yeah. Well, State's going to come up a little, right? Or am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Nor- Norvell, I guess the jury's still kind of out. But uh, anyway. Uh, okay, well, I forgot at the beginning because I was so excited about how everything went down to give a shout-out to our friends at uh, Holiday Distillery, 360 Vodka, Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Uh, make sure to stock up on that. It's a night game. It's Texas. K-State's in the top 15 now. What more do you want, all right? Throw some vodka down your throat, some Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon, and let's make Bill Snyder Family Stadium really freaking loud on Saturday. Did all you right? get a ticket so, yet? Uh, I've got some leads. I've got some leads. I was going to say, this could be your I've I've got a lead in the suite. I've got a lead in the suite. No, you don't want to be in no, the suite. You want no, to be with the people. No, you, you got to, to be honest, you got to get the ticket you had last week. You can be a little superstitious. Tell Don to come through. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if Don's listening, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm available. Don, do you have five extras so I can move my family over there too? Uh, you know, and then I can go sit with John as well. I, I don't want to be greedy, but just five more uh, so I can abandon my Section 11 seats to – to mosey on over there that'd be great and hey hey we got the uh, college football playoff poll coming out on tuesday gene taylor on the committee where do you think he puts k-state fourth fifth you know yeah. i don't know got- i'm a little i'm a little you know everyone uh tennessee tennessee i where are we at i mean i, I would flip flop that's my only issue with the the ap and the coaches poll that came out this week i just flip flop k-state and tennessee and then well yeah i mean yeah i mean i could see that john i think By the way, i know this isn't an sec pot but tennessee I'm probably not high enough on them. I I just assumed Kentucky would play with them the week yeah. ahead of the Georgia game. Good I, lord, I did, no. I did too. You know yeah, what else comes? Dy, what have they played Oklahoma State's? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. By the way, I, Colt, I K State should not be number one. I how how could we possibly say that? T- Tulane obviously is number one, and then K State number two. Hmm. That's I had TCU, huh? Who? TCU? No. I don't know, TC and what, who? Yeah. Uh, hey, you know what else comes this week? I'm sure Jed's like, would you guys, you idiots, just wrap this show up so I can go. Uh, you know what else comes this week? Matching, baby. 
Basketball. Well, I've already tweeted that too. We got Coach the cats. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, when when is when is the first exhibition game? Tuesday. Tuesday. Washburn. Holy hell. Okay. Yeah, we're going to take out all of our anger from Fort Hay State a couple years ago out on Washburn on Tuesday night. John, were you at the uh, triple overtime game with Huggins? Uh, no. Against Washburn? I was no, there. I was not. Uh, well, no, we won't. I, I'm not worried about that happening with Coach Tang and the staff and the boys. I think it'll be just fine. Um, but I'm, I'm excited sure to watch, I did watch I'm pretty sure I did watch Jim Moldridge lose to the EA Sports All-Stars yeah. one time. Uh, yeah, I watched uh, Jim Moldridge lose to uh, Western Carolina as well. Uh, uh, I watched Bruce Weber lose to Northern Colorado in person and, uh, Fort Hayes. Yeah, I wasn't there for that one. No. Uh, uh, anyways, I digress. You know how much K-State basketball means to me that I'm going to have to watch it over Maction on Tuesday night, the debut of Tuesday night Maction, but you know what? I got Wednesday night Maction too. So it's going to be, I, I am loaded up for this beat week, boys. We got K-State football under the lights. We got K-State I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna be drinking. You're gonna so be hitting much. that Ben Holiday bottle of Bond yeah, Bourbon, huh? I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna empty so many bottles of that because we got Tuesday, Wednesday night matching. We got K State hoops. We got K State football under the lights as a top 15 team in America. Uh, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in great spirits right now. A lot better than that drive home from Fort Worth on Sunday last em- week. Emphasis on the spirit part of that. You know, you're, in, you got some great spirits going That's for right. your great spirits. And that's why they pay us the big bucks, folks. Uh, all right. This is a lot more fun than, uh, than last week. Uh, appreciate you all listening for uh, Jed Marshall behind the scenes. Cole Manbeck, Derek Young. I'm John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to 3 Mom. We'll see you later this week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.